This is your Frederick Real Estate Update, a conversation about the regional real estate market with tips for buyers and sellers. Your hosts, REMAX Results, Darren Ahern and Presidential Bank Mortgages, Terry Kernan. Hey folks, welcome back to your Frederick Real Estate Update. I am Darren Ahern with REMAX Results and I also have with me the one and only, the wingman who is not next to me, but at a awesome location and it's Mr. Terry Kernan. All right. There he is. There he is. All right. Let everybody know where you're calling from, getting in, getting to us from here. Yeah, so Mary Susan and I got invited by um, my sister and her husband down to Florida for uh, last minute. So we came down to Isle Morada, and we're coming home Sunday. And it's just beautiful and unbelievable here. Absolutely. Almost like Hawaii or Key West. Isn't that right? Well, yeah, we're 80 miles north of Key West, and uh, it's amazing the iguanas that are on, that are that are in the Keys, and they're having an iguana control. Uh, so, so they'll come to our place and shoot iguanas. It's crazy. Wow! But apparently, they're an invasive species, and they don't hurt anybody. They're just an invasive species that have gotten way overpopulated. Alrighty then. I'm glad you're having fun down there. I know it's a whole different real estate market down in that end of that world and all that good stuff. So uh, you better buy something while you're down there. And I'm pretty sure you know a good loan officer right there, right? <laughs> <laughs> yes, sir. All right, let's get in. London, Florida. There you go. Let's get right into the numbers, Terry. Last week, 307 was the active homes on the market. We finally have broken 300 for the first time in God knows how long. Oh, we dipped below it though. Now we're at 298. Homes for sale, uh, resales, 163 with an average time of 41 days on the market. And so some of those, uh, that's come down just a tiny bit with the days on market and all that. Mm -hmm. um, and then we have medium price of single family home, 549 right now. New construction, 135 with uh, 79 single family homes, brand new construction in Frederick County at a price of 724. So it seems like they've come down just a little bit. Um, a lot of that is simply because um, a lot of the builders, yeah, they're just trying to move things more and more and more. That's been really slow for them. I know that for uh, for what's been going on. And so, therefore, a lot of base prices or incentives and some things like that. And, and also, some of that price could be that um, some of the buyers are definitely not picking out as many options as they once were just simply because of affordability and thinking we'll just do some of these options and upgrades to the brand new homes later, which um, could maybe save money and it could cost more to do it later. Who knows? So um, that's that world. Coming soon, 44, pending under contracts, 450 with 189 that are new. And 261 resales with average time in 19 days for the resales on the market. Sold in the last 30 days, 307. Wow, that is definitely dipped down just a tiny bit more as well with an average time of the resale homes only at 15 days. And so we're still seeing that average stay pretty decent um, across the board. I thought that would be definitely back up to 20, 25 days. Um, but there's just no inventory, and that's driving a lot of it. The average resale home that sold in the last 30 days, single-family home, was uh, average price of $518,600. And the sold-to-list price ratio, Terry, this is the big drum roll that everybody wants to know is how is that holding on? 100.9%. So, therefore, 
buyers are still is it if it's priced good and the conditions good and everything like that they're still willing to pay full price or even a little bit above we're still seeing about 40 38 to 40 percent of all homes um have multiple offer situations and so that's just simply because nice good stuff nice stuff goes fast and people are going to fight over it a little bit but we're not seeing 10 offers um i would say the mass majority of them are only usually two or three offers not five or ten um so that has settled down uh quite a bit and as i've said before any sellers that are the only ones standing in the ring and they do not have a multiple offer situation um, it's even more painful than it was even a month or two ago for those guys there. So give me your thoughts on that, Terry. So the numbers have come down a little bit, um, and what we're seeing is the demand has uh, – it keeps getting lower and lower, the demand for new applications. So at some point it's going to take effect, and um, I think that what we're taking a look at is that the um, 100.9, I think – that you talked about the sold to list price 100.9 percent so let's say 101 percent i don't think that number is going to come down much even though we're not losing a lot of we're not getting a lot of new buyers into the market because we're just not getting the listing still that that definitely makes uh makes good sense so all right here's the thing Big stuff this week. Lots of uh, you know news as far as things that are going on in the markets, and especially interest rates. And then I'm going to let you talk about assumable loans as we finish up from last week's program, which we invite everybody to go on WFMD.com or mine, DarrenAaron.com, in the drop down, and you can check out all of our past programs. So Terry, talk to us about interest rates. What in the world? Where are we at? What's going on? What's the future predictions? So Wednesday, uh, Tuesday and Wednesday, the Federal Reserve met. They had their uh, meeting that they have every six weeks. And basically what everybody anticipated was exactly what happened, and that is the Fed came out and they did not raise rates, okay? So that's what everybody was expecting. What they weren't expecting was Chairman Powell to come out and basically say, well, we're still fighting this inflation and things. Uh, there's future rate hikes and rates are not going to come down as fast as everybody's saying. And we could be at a higher rate for, we could be at higher rates for much longer than people thought. And what that meant was basically into the presidential election year, rates are still going to be high is kind of what the signal was. So what did that do? We saw, we saw a definite hit in the stock market. We continued to see that hit in the stock market. But it also raised what we go after for our pricing is it raised the 10-year yield on the mortgage-backed security. So what that does is that basically means that our rates jumped on Wednesday and Thursday. And what we're taking a look at is the rates are now back up. And I don't know what's going to happen. I think the market's going to settle down this coming week, and I think we're going to get back. But right now, Darren, we're at seven and a quarter percent again, and it's crazy—seven and a half percent we're seeing. So uh, the rates were not um, what Chairman Powell said was not helpful. Is the bottom line, and the way that he presented it was not helpful, and mostly. Uh, 
most of the board members that were interviewed said that rates are going to continue to grow. So let's just remind people, the Federal Reserve is in charge of the federal funds rate, okay? And the federal funds rate and the discount rate is what the is what uh, they charge uh, <clears throat> is what they charge for uh, bank loans from bank to bank. So when a bank borrows money, they borrow it from the Federal Reserve or they borrow it from another bank, and they're going to borrow it. And the federal funds rate right now is at five and a quarter. So the prime lending rate's at eight and a half. So what we're taking a look at is that federal funds rate is the rate that they've been bumping up and bumping up and bumping up. In in uh, March of 2020, they lowered the federal funds rate to basically zero, and that's when the prime rate was at three and a quarter. The last time they did that was when the market crashed in 2008, and the highest the highest that the prime rate has ever been today it's at eight and a half percent but in December of uh, 1980 it was 21 and a half percent so that's kind of the effect that the Federal Reserve has and that's what they control is the federal funds rate which the Wall Street Journal prime follows Good stuff. Alrighty. So it sounds like I, I keep getting so many people asking, you know, when are rates going to go below 7% based on the information that was shared this week and the idea that there's possibly one more rate hike, rate hike by the end of the year that they're saying, what does that forecast look like? And what are some of your other um, loan officer friends and all those and execs and everything? What are they saying about all this? Well, Wednesday's news kind of caught us off guard caught a lot of people off guard um, and it's not surprising that they said that because what have we noticed in the last 30 days is gas prices have gone up okay and so when gas prices go up inflation goes up and so it's not it, we shouldn't have been too surprised but what the feel is is that rates are going to hang probably above seven percent uh, over the next uh, several uh, several months, probably over the next couple of months. Just to give you an idea, we have a uh, we had a little contest between all the branch managers at the mortgage company, a presidential mortgage, and the guess is where do you see the ten-year treasury at the end of September? And this was this was the first week in August that this contest was, and basically all seventeen of us gave our um, gave our estimate and it ranged anywhere from three point seven percent to three to four point three percent after the news on Wednesday the ten year shot up to four point four three percent so it's way above what any of the managers uh, predicted where it would be I predicted it would be under four percent um, so that's kind of going to hold rates up. As long as that 10-year stays high, our rates are going to stay high. Wow, that is something. It's almost like hearing Bob Barker say, hey, folks, we got a little problem. Everybody <laughs> overbidded. Nobody got it. Let's start this game over again. Let's Exactly. Let's start over. Yeah, so, you know, and this is, this is 17 of us from all over, you know, the mid-Atlantic region, um, and none of us are even close.
All righty. All right. So let's talk assumable loans, Terry. Let's finish up from last week's program. We talked about all the different loan types, um, kind of how they work a little bit, but getting a little bit more granular. The thing we didn't talk about was at what point with an assumable loan is it beneficial for a buyer to take advantage of that? And what are some of the types of um, time frames it takes and hoops and all the other things that it takes? So go ahead. So basically, just a, just a very quick review. An assumable mortgage is a it's basically a financing arrangement where somebody has an outstanding mortgage. So let's say uh, the Joneses have uh, an interest rate of three and a quarter percent or three percent. Let's say three percent, okay? And rates right now are at seven and a quarter percent. And let's say that they bought the house. Um, for three hundred and fifty thousand dollars, or three sixty, and now they're going to sell it for four hundred. Um, let's talk about what basically what the differences are, and this is kind of an eye opener. Is if somebody has a three percent mortgage and they got it in the last couple of years, it's a prime loan to be assumed. Now, as a review, FHA, VA. And USDA, the three government-backed loans, are assumable. Conventional loans, Fannie, Freddie, those are not assumable loans. <clears throat> but let's say you get an FHA or a let's say you get a um, VA loan, and it's three hundred thousand dollars. At three percent, your principal and interest is twelve hundred and sixty-four dollars. If you assume that loan from the borrower. Today's rate at seven and a quarter, you're looking at $2,046. So it's $800 more a month to get that same exact mortgage that those people got two years ago. Wow. So, <laughs> That's the first yeah. thing. That, yeah. Wow. It's like sticker yeah. shock. I thought, you fell, I thought you fell off your chair. I about <laughs> did. As Yeah, we are still trying to pick ourselves up here. All right. You just keep expanding on that. How do we, how do we navigate around that part of it? So basically, if somebody has a FHA or VA, assumable loans are going to get a lot of talk here in the next couple of months. A lot of people thought that this going above 7%, was going to be temporary. Now we're seeing that it's going to be longer than temporary. It could be the next two, three months. It could bring us all the way into February of next year where we're hovering around 7%. So assumables are going to get a lot of play, a lot of talk, a lot of action, because what you're taking a look at is, let's say somebody has a $300,000 mortgage, just like I just said. They're selling the house for $400,000. That means that the buyer, the new buyer, the, the Smiths who are trying to buy out the Joneses mortgage or assume the Joneses mortgage, they have to come up with $100,000 to assume that mortgage. You can't go back to the bank and say, hey, can I just up the mortgage? No, it's done. So it's $300,000. You basically have to come up with that difference. You can get a home equity line attached to it to help with a chunk of that. But the main thing that you're taking a look at is coming up with that money. But as a seller, you're kind of in the driver's seat. If somebody can come up with the money, 
you're really not dealing with appraisals and so forth, right? So you can actually sell the house for a little bit more because you're getting them an incredibly low mortgage. That's good. That's good. One of the things I think about, let's just use a number if a buyer somehow is like, let's just say they're saving $1,000 per month by getting that lower rate than seven and a quarter or seven and a half or so. And they have to bring $100,000 in cash to bridge that difference in that mortgage to get that assumable loan. Does that make sense, Terry, to say it's 100 months before it is worth them assuming the mortgage? Because everybody looks at, it's like refinance. How long does it take before money now starts going back into my pocket and it's now a real savings versus not a savings and not worth doing? Would that make sense that at, if they are going to be in the house more than 100 months, which comes up to be, what, eight, eight and a half years, then it's worth doing? How does that work? I think it comes down to what it costs you. So let's say the 300,000, I can come up with 50,000 and then I've got to get another $50,000 loan, which would be a uh, home equity line, let's say. So if we took a $50,000 home equity line and basically right now the interest rate on an equity line is going to be around prime, which is eight and a half percent. So that's about $4,200 or about $350 a month for that, for that. So I think it's not really a break even point when you've got an assumable loan there. It's really where your comfort level is, how much you can put down. Let's say I have to get another loan instead of 50,000, I have to go 75,000 then you're looking at still paying less per month with a home equity line plus the assumed mortgage than you would if you got a seven and a quarter percent rate. So I don't think it's really a break even point. I think it's, it's, let's see where, what makes sense with payment. So that's good. That means you got to sharpen your pencil. It sounds like you're going to get a lot of people that are going to be calling you to run scenarios to be able to figure out which is the best way to go? Should I venture into it, assuming a loan or not? As far as how the numbers work and what the payment would be and all the fine details of that. So that's why um, you guys in the lending world sounds like you're going to be doing a lot more of that kind of stuff. The other thing, um, Terry, is the time frame. The thing that people have to understand is there's a lot more hoops you got to jump through. You've got to use, obviously, the lender that um, somebody is, uh, you know, already has in place, I believe, right? And then also it's going to take maybe up to 60 days because there's a lot more involved as far as that. How does that work? So basically, I'm not really in the picture. I can help you, and I can guide you through it, but you really are in the hands of the current note holder. So whoever is servicing that loan. So let's say U.S. Bank is servicing the loan. You have to deal directly with U.S. Bank with the assumption. Now, they probably are going to drag their feet a little bit because this has not been an issue for them, so they probably are not geared up to handle a lot of assumables because assumables, you know, they they haven't been around. Uh, they haven't they've been around. They just haven't been used for years and years and years and years. But this is one. This is a time that I think we're going to see a lot of people. So, U.S. Bank or whichever servicer, they they probably aren't ready for this. 
and it, it might take a little longer, but you would basically have to follow their rules. You have to get qualified by them. If I come in and give you a home equity loan to help you buy the house, then that would have to be part of the equation, and that would have to be part of, you know, what's going on. So it, it's going to be a little different and a little difficult in the beginning, but I think once these take, um, you know, once we see more and more of them, they'll be easier to do. All righty. Good, good stuff. All right, we got about 10 minutes left or so maybe here. I'm going to get into, Terry, the no-nos and yes-yeses for buyers. And before I do that, these are the hot questions that have been coming in recently. I just want to talk a little bit for one minute about seller side. I'm, I'm working on two listings. I was just at both homes right around $800,000 in the higher end market. And the sellers have lots of questions and cares and concerns about what's changing in their in that world of affordability and selling their home um, right now in those uh, price ranges because they have definitely learned, hey, my neighbor, mm, six months ago, the dude on this side sold in like 10 days. The guys down the street over here, same size house as ours. It's been like a month. What's going on? Two months. Yeah. Welcome to the new market. Welcome to things slowing down as far as affordability and all that kind of stuff. So one of the things I did um, that I do, I think, is very uniquely different with my experience of 20 years and helping over 700 families is I like to take sellers on a field trip. So we went ahead, took a clipboard and went down last night and went ahead and gone and seen the neighbor's property so that my guys could very clearly see the pros and cons for themselves, not by what the pictures say, not by what I say, not by what a description says, so they could come to their own conclusion about the difference between their house and this other house that's now for sale down the road. And what do we need to do to get ours as good, if not better, cosmetically, you know, functionality, you know, conditionally and all those things like that. But also, what do we need to do to make sure that we're competitive? And that definitely deals with pricing strategies and what we need to do in place like that. So the thing they realize is you got one shot at it. And I told them, I said, in that world, in your world, you basically have about 14 to 21 days. If you don't have an offer by then, you're in bad shape. And you're going to probably have to pay some buy-down money, closing costs, this, that, whatever, and lower your price. But I always go towards if somebody's doing a loan in that world and, um, and, then, and then going ahead at that making sure that they can offer something that's going to be the most viable with the least amount of pain. But obviously I set up a plan for them. They've already seen that's going to help them to be probably in the best position. That's a multiple offer so that they don't have to put out two and a half or 3% in either closing costs or buy down monies and such like that. So, and they're willing to fix whatever it takes to get a better offer. And it always comes down to usually paint flooring and other means like that. And curb appeal. One of the big things we're doing, Terry, is I actually had told them, let's get the mulch guy in and, and, trim some things up and get all that finished now uh, rather than later because they're looking at possibly the late fall or maybe even in January to sell. And so I said, hey, let's get the best pitchers right now. Those are the best pitchers to be used, even if it's in the wintertime. And that would go for any property like that. They were kind of like, wow, really? Absolutely. So we want to get the best pitchers now with the weather and the way it is. I don't like pitchers with snow in them. It never makes properties look too, too good. Unless you're in Colorado at a ski resort in Vail, that's perfect. But around here, 
and not as good. So, and then the other thing is to get a plan to have multiple offers, and we've already gone over through that. So, all right, let's get into the um, no nos. Yes, oh, whoa, everybody, I got this again. It just keeps happening. Not as much, but it does happen. Is hey, Darren, is it ever a good time to submit a love letter with our offer? We want to pull on the emotional heartstrings of the seller so that they pick me, pick me, pick me for the date. Get my, you know, we want your house over everybody else's and all that kind of stuff like that. Terry, one of the things we've always said, and our broker has said it is, no, it's never a good idea. It opens the doors to potential problems with either fair housing lawsuits. You may offend them. You may not get it. The chances of it hurting you is much, much, much greater than helping you. So I cannot stop a buyer from writing out a love letter and overnighting it or dropping it off at the front door of the seller. I ain't taking part in that. As an agent, we don't have no part in that, stuff like that. We um, we, we really don't want to take part in that. So um, that's on you, but offers, they're just factual. It's, it's, I know it's emotional, obviously, but when it comes to offering and terms and conditions, we got to do contract, make it factual, and come in with your best stuff, depending on the terms of what we're dealing with and up against in that regard. So, Terry, any thoughts on that? Well, I, I didn't know that that was a no-no to do a, a love letter. I, I mean, I've seen borrowers do it, um, but I didn't realize that, that it's frowned upon. So that's, that's interesting because, you know, you would think, hey, no big deal. Um, but that's interesting. So, so, Mike. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, and then the other thing is you're talking about an $800,000 house. You're talking about doing things like, you know, the mulch and making it look curve appeal and all that. You got to remember when you're in that price range, your number one competition is not always the guy down the street. It's the subdivision around the corner where you're dealing with new construction. So it's very hard to compete with new construction. That's new, new, new. If everything that on your house says old, 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 and you're trying to sell it for 800,000. That is a good, good, good uh, thing I didn't mention. You're right. You're competing against new construction at that point, uh, big time in some regards, no doubt about it. So, all right. So, yeah, um, it's good to write the love letters to when you're dating or married, but not when you're buying a house, okay? All right, next question real quick. We got two minutes in the program. Terry, can I bring a contractor or home inspector in and uh, do a home inspection before submitting an offer? Because sometimes we see the house is being sold as is. Buyers get freaked out. What's wrong? with it i want to do a full-blown inspection i want to know what the heck i'm dealing with and i'm going to help me with my offer and all that kind of stuff like that here's the whole thing liability um we don't really no we don't really um admonish to do that uh the, the other thing we're actually getting denims on this we're going to come up with legally because number one the seller has to give you permission it has to be in writing what happens if something goes wrong somebody falls through the roof the floor gets hurt breaks this this happens that happens happens hey listen we don't want any part of that kind of stuff and that kind of stuff does happen and uh, even if something doesn't happen what happens if you don't submit an offer after all and then what happens if the seller comes back and says hey we want to sue those buyers that came into an inspection our hot water just broke they must have been tinkering with something listen guys 
I've seen it all in this business. I'm telling you what, this ain't no joking around. People are crazy today. Say it. They're crazy. And so you got to really be careful. Um, it all comes back to liability and who's in charge of what and what about this. And are you doing my broker? I, I asked her this. She said a good thing. Are they doing a full-blown inspection? Are they just doing a walkthrough? Are they just looking at things? To what extent? That's another big part of this. So we're actually making up um, addendums and things to go with the contracts that's going to start outlining some of this kind of stuff like this. So uh, real quick, third one, um, can I make repairs on a foreclosure before settlement or other properties to get my loan approved? Not 99% of the time, the banks are not going to allow that to happen. When it's a private seller, nine out of 10 times, if we get permission and everything's stipulated and all that, the seller definitely wants to get their home sold. And so therefore, they're going to be a little more, more apt to let you do it. But it also depends on to what extent are the repairs going to be made? Because if it's something that's so outrageous, like, like something that's a really big item, we don't want to go there. If it's cosmetic and something small, handrail issues, this, that. I just did that recently. Not a problem at all. So, all right, Terry, I appreciate you calling in from Florida down there. Enjoy the white, white, white sand, emerald green waters. We want to thank everybody for tuning in to your Frederick Real Estate Update. Give Terry and I a call. We are here to serve and help you guys out. Happy buying and selling. Have a great weekend. Take care now. Looking to purchase a home or refinance your existing mortgage? If so, Lawyer Signature Settlements is here to assist you with that process. Lawyer Signature Settlements is a local attorney-owned title company with over 100 years of combined experience conveniently located in Frederick, Maryland. We are licensed to conduct closings in the states of Maryland, Pennsylvania, Virginia, and West Virginia. With two attorneys on staff here at Lawyer Signature Settlements, we ensure the most thorough review process paired with affordable rates, accommodating scheduling, and outstanding customer service. So next time you need to place your signature on closing documents, call Lawyer Signature Settlements at 301-695-1235 or visit us on the web at www.signaturesettlements.com. We hope to see you at the closing table. Hello, this is Terry Kernan with Presidential Bank Mortgage in downtown Frederick. And the best way to reach me always is on my cell phone at 301-639-9244. 301-639-9244, or you can always email me at tkernan at presidential.com. And this is Darren Ahern from REMAX Results. You can reach me anytime, 240-344-1713. Again, it's 240-344-1713 or at DarrenAhern at gmail.com. Thanks so much for tuning in to your Frederick Real Estate Update. We will see you each and every Saturday right here on WFMD at 11 o'clock. Past editions of this program are available in the audio vault at WFMD.com.